The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the twelve disciples, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher, and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the mountaintops. Do not fear for those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are more valued than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone, everyone therefore who acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Do we have any kids that would like to come up for children's time this morning? Would you like to come up? Grace and peace to you from our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the old saints of my last church uh, was a man named Dean Esterbrook. And Dean once told me a story. Actually, he told this story to me a few times. He remembered as a younger man in the old church building, and he was walking in the stairwell one day when he heard someone crying. And so he went to see who it was in case they needed help. And he walked down the steps only to discover that it was the pastor himself crying at the bottom of the stairwell. Dean did not interrupt the pastor out of respect, but that moment made a lasting impression on him. It was jarring for him to see his pastor, the leader of his flock, crying. And every time Dean told me this story, he would get choked up because of it. He realized that pastors are human, just like everybody else. And so he told me this story a few times, and Dean, in his very New England stoic way, he would, it was his way of telling me that he loved me. <laughs> because when he told it, he would always tell me this story when he knew there were challenges at church. And it was just his gentle New England way of saying, I know this isn't easy. Every pastor knows that feeling and has had those moments. You may be surprised, but every pastor has been angry at God, disappointed in God. Every pastor has those stairwell moments and been driven to tears and to their knees. Every pastor is asked, why, God, have you called me to this? What do you want from me? How much more can I give? How much is enough? And that's just where Jeremiah finds himself this morning. 
Jeremiah was one of the major prophets in the Bible, and he prophesied in and around the time of the fall of Jerusalem at the hands of the Babylonian Empire, so around 600 BCE. And God called Jeremiah early on as a young boy, saying, Now the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then Jeremiah said, Ah, Lord God, truly I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to him, Do not say I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched Jeremiah's mouth. And the Lord said to him, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. This is pretty heavy stuff for a young person. As Jeremiah says, it was enticing. It was even seductive. And being called can feel that way. But Jeremiah was called to the hard work of prophesying to the people of Israel to change their ways in order to avoid the eventual destruction that was to come. But they didn't listen, and Jerusalem fell. He watched his home fall apart. He watched their leaders driven out into exile, and he remained in this broken city to proclaim hope to those who remained. One scholar says that the book of Jeremiah depicts a man who consistently protested against political and religious policies that sealed the fate of his country, a prophet who in the eyes of the establishment of his day was both traitor and heretic. In our reading for today, Jeremiah is burned out and alone. He's at the bottom of the stairwell. And he has seven laments like this passage in this book, And he calls out to God in this lament, our passage for today, Why did you entice me into being a prophet and speaking for you? I am derided and mocked, scorned and shunned, a laughingstock all the day long. All my close friends watched for me to stumble. I would walk away from all of this, except that if I try not to prophesy, God's word is like a fire burning within me that I cannot shut up in my bones." Many of us know this place. We may not be prophets, we may not be pastors, but we are all called by God by virtue of our baptism. And that calling can feel light and joyful. It can also feel heavy and burdensome, sometimes at the exact same time. We have all struggled with and for our faith. We have harbored mixed feelings about both God and the church. But if you look at the Bible, this is, in fact, exceedingly normal. It's kind of a job description for those who are called by God. From Abraham and Sarah to Moses and Miriam to Peter and Paul and everyone in between. I remember at my own ordination almost 20 years ago, my mentor, Tad Meyer, preached. And he preached on the example of the disciple Peter, one of the disciples sent out in our gospel. And he said that Peter's true gift for ministry, what made Peter such a rock, was his fragile yet tenacious faith. His fragile yet tenacious faith. It was Peter's ability to lead while being broken that made him the rock of the church, Tad said. And then Tad told a story about his own ordination. 
He said that on the eve of his ordination, the emeritus priest at the Episcopal Church where he was serving came up to him and solemnly told him that he would remember Tad at the fraction at Mass the next morning. The fraction is that moment at the end of the communion prayer when the priest ceremonially ceremonially, uh, breaks the host or tears the bread open. And Tad thought this was a pretty strange thing to say. (laughs) But then he said, Over the years, I've come to appreciate that strange tradition because it reminds me of a truth that rests at the very heart of my calling. Like my brother Peter, my life and ministry are filled with brokenness, my own and that of others. Time and again, I've had to watch as my visions and dreams and my confining self-perceptions have been ruthlessly and gracefully shattered. Time and again, I have been asked to enter into the brokenness of others, to enter into it knowing full well that I will not be able to mend or fix it. Time and again, God has shattered my idols to call me to a new understanding of my priesthood, anchored solely in the power of God's redeeming and transforming love. Like my brother Peter, I've had to struggle to learn to cherish my brokenness, but I know in my heart that it is the means through which Christ's love breaks into the reality of my life and my ministry. He said, the fraction reminds me that the only way that I can come to accept my own brokenness is by placing it within Christ, that body that was broken for my sake, now blessed and broken again to be shared and embodied by God's faithful people. And then he told me that he would remember me at the fraction. Broken and beloved, it goes with the territory for all those who are called by God. In our gospel lesson for today, as in the one last week, Jesus tells the disciples that things will not be easy for them. He sends them out to preach and teach and heal, but he also warns them about dealing with rejection. He says he sends them out like sheep in the midst of wolves and warns them that they could be handed over and persecuted, and some were. But Jesus also reassures them that God is with them. Three times he says to them in this passage, do not be afraid. He says that if God guards the sparrow, then God will watch over you, that God knows the number of hairs on your head. And so, as one scholar says, what happens to the disciples is within the compassionate knowing and purposes of God. What happens to the disciples is within the compassionate knowing and purposes of God, kind of like our own brokenness being held in the fraction in the brokenness of Jesus. In faith, we sometimes think in either-or terms. Either I'm angry with God or I'm good with God. I'm distant or I'm close. I'm in or I'm out. Martin Luther, as a young monk, was consumed with this either-or thinking, wondering, am I saved or not? Am I justified with God or not? And he ultimately recognized that this kind of either-or thinking creates terrified consciences where people aren't sure about how they stand with God. Therefore, the tradition he birthed, Lutheranism, is not an either-or tradition. It is always both and, law and gospel, sinner and saint, blessed and broken, all of it held together in the mercy and love of God. All the things that we go through are held within the compassionate knowing and purposes of God. 
For me, our callings, each of our callings, are the containers in which all of these things are lived out. This calling holds our feelings and faith, our doubts and our fears, our hopes and our tears, our joys, our successes, our failure. It all belongs and it is all held within the love of God and the call that God places on each of our lives. Finally, at the end of Jeremiah's lament, he includes a fragment of a thanksgiving psalm which is expresses his joy and thanks for God's merciful acts for the needy. And these were the kind of psalms that would be uttered either after salvation had come or in the sure anticipation of its occurrence. So after this long, long lament from Jeremiah, it says, Sing to the Lord, sing praise to the Lord, for God has delivered the life of the needy from the hands of the evildoers. In the midst of this lament, pushed to his limits, at the bottom of the stairwell, Jeremiah held on to this fragment of faith, probably something he learned in his younger years. And sometimes it only takes a fragment to remind us, to bring us back, to remind and restore and reorient us, to know that in the words of the old, old hymn, God's eye is on the sparrow, and I know God watches me. God's eye is on the sparrow. God knows all the hairs on your head. God delivers the life of the needy. Therefore, Jesus says, do not be afraid. For prayers for help like Jeremiah's, uttered in deep despair about the human situation, but in powerful confidence in God, can turn our lament to praise. Amen.